Thank you, Father, for our Bibles now. And as we open them, will you speak to us, please, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit and through the authority and power of your word. May we be strengthened through this exercise. May we have humble hearts, listening ears. May we go with, from here with a great willingness to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, will you please turn to Genesis chapter 39. We are jumping into the story, re-entering the story of Joseph once again. We have met Joseph already. Of course, it is a familiar story in Genesis chapter 37. We took a break as the writer, the historian, probably Moses, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave an historical account of what happened with his brother Judah, through whom the kingly line and the Abrahamic covenant would be fulfilled specifically. And then without any transition or transitional thought, he re-enters the story of Joseph once again and picks up where he left off in Genesis chapter 39. Let's read verses 1 through 6 as our text, and then let's receive what God has for us in the minutes remaining. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. What a remarkable story about a remarkable young man. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news for the last couple of months, but have you caught on to this story of these Chilean miners who are trapped underground? And I have been thinking at different times. I'll be driving my car, brushing my teeth, taking a walk with the dog, and those guys are still underground. Over two months now, after a collapse in their mind, and thankfully they were all eating lunch together in, in an area, a safe zone, and when the mine collapsed, there they were. And I understand that just this weekend now they have uh, broken through and they are very close to having a 28-inch hole with a special-made basket that the Chilean Navy has engineered. And they're going to bring them up over 2,000 feet down into the ground, they are, since August. And I think all except one guy whose wife and his girlfriend are waiting at the top of the mine, they will all be glad to get out of the hole. <clears throat> when he's been in the darkness, certain things have come to light. But I was thinking about that. And let's use the mine cave-in. 
Would you be able to say, if you were stuck in a deep, dark hole, would you be able to say with confidence, God is in control? This morning, as we enter into this passage, most well known for Joseph's sexual temptation, and we will deal thoroughly with that subject beginning next week, I think it is important for us to have a reminder today that as young Joseph has been abused, has encountered significant injustice, and finds himself uh, far from home, that he evidently has a grip on this great important truth that though his life has caved in, he knows God is in control. I wonder if you would be able to say that with your words, but I wonder after living for two months in a dark hole in the ground with the future unknown, totally out of control of your circumstances, that was Joseph. If you would be able to live out with your life and it would speak this message, my God is in control. Do you live out, as a child of the king, Romans 8.28? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I don't know if there's anything to kick down there, but I have an idea that some of us who love Jesus with all our heart and trust God with all of our life would be kicking things and throwing things down in that ground, wondering, God, where are you? Why did this have to happen? Well, we don't have a lot of time to bog down. I want to deal with two points. Number one in our story, verses 1 through 6. I want to look briefly at Joseph's harsh reality. I want us then to look at Joseph's humble response. His harsh reality, first of all. Number one, I want you to see that he has been overwhelmed by major life interruption. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be out of control. The only person that I know of who doesn't like to be out of control worse than me, does that proper grammar make sense, is Wayne McKenzie back there. I remember one time we were delivering some office furniture to our our new old office downtown when I first came to Fellowship Bible Church and and he had a pickup truck and, and I was outside the window signaling and just turn a little bit more, come into the curve and Wayne couldn't do it. He had to get out, and he had to go back, and he had to look, and then he would come back. He didn't trust his pastor. <laughs> we love to be in control. You can relate to that feeling, can't you? I don't like to not be able to see. I don't like interruptions. I don't like being out of control. And the first phrase we run into is, now Joseph had been taken down into Egypt. He didn't want to go to Egypt. It wasn't on his agenda to go to Egypt. He didn't want to be sold into slavery. He didn't want to get thrown into a hole by his brothers. He didn't want to be disrupted from his plans as a 17, 18-year-old boy. You need to keep in mind as we read this passage that we don't have a time frame. I suspect that from verse 1 to somewhere around verse 5 or 6, that at least a year, 18 months, maybe two years goes by. It's hard to say. He's going to end up being in Egypt 20, 20 couple years by the time his brothers and his father move down. He's young, he's maturing rapidly, but one of the things we see, taken down into Egypt by slave traders, sold, no doubt, much of the time shackled, unable to care for his own personal needs, dirty, filthy, abused. 
Historians tell us that there were, there is never an era, there is no era of time where slaves were more abused than the Egyptian era. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Overwhelmed by major life interruption. You know that feeling? Lord, you, my life is totally interrupted. Now, I want to say something here and make it clear. We've said this before, but you need to understand that there are a couple different ways to interrupt your life. What we're talking about here is when the mind caves in by no doing of your own. If you have foolishly not trussed up the tunnel, then sometimes you bring these interruptions on yourself. I am not talking so much this morning to the person who has, through sin-induced collapse, interrupted the flow of their lives. The consequence of sin is far-reaching. You wake up in the morning, you do dumb things, you get dumb results, you have sinful payoff. God is in control, but God did not make that happen in your life. I'm talking about the things that God has allowed that had nothing to do with your decision-making process. You were blindsided, and you were completely out of control. Had nothing to do with your decision, and if you could have had something to do with it, you would have totally changed it. Secondly, I want you to see, and we must remind ourselves, that he is operating, number two, the harsh reality of Joseph is that this has been a major life interruption, and it is, he is operating now, number two, with limited information. The Word of God hasn't been written down yet. The Holy Spirit, under the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, hasn't guided the hand of the historian to write it down so that he can just quick flip to the last chapter and read the end of the story. He can't do that. He's got total limited understanding of the circumstances. He just knows what he knows. He knows that his hands are tied, he's tied to the rope, and he, when he looks up, he's looking at the rear end of a camel walking across the desert. That's all he knows. Major interruption, limited information, and thirdly, he is yet, as of yet, completely oblivious, number three, to the long-term implication. Completely oblivious to the long-term implication. And we've talked about this a little bit already when he first got beat up and thrown in the hole a couple weeks ago when we talked about it. And didn't you enjoy Robert Alderman last week? He was good to have, wasn't he? It was an encouraging time, both Saturday night and Sunday morning last week. So it's been a couple weeks since we were here before. Joseph has no idea that what's going on in his life, this major interruption, total confusion because of limited information, is part of God's strategic planning and placement for his life. That's hard to get sometimes, isn't it? I'm out of control. I don't know what's going on. And God is doing exactly with me what He wants so that He can strategically place me to fulfill His plan of blessing through me into the lives of others 22 years from now. It's one reason why we have got to get a grip on this reality that God is in control he is the master, and I am the servant. And if I have not sin-induced it, then he, let his will be done. Because I can't say today what God has planned for tomorrow. That's the reality of Joseph's life. The harsh reality is, 
major life interruption. He's got limited information. This has long-term implication. Let's quickly move to Joseph's humble response. This is such a good model for us. Notice this. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in in his eyes and became his attendant. I want to point out that we do not have recorded at any level with Joseph failure. We do not have recorded bitter, angry, harsh temper tantrums. We do not have him spewing out with anger. What is reality? Reality is he's human. I can't imagine that the tears didn't make tracks through the dirt and dust on his face as he was dragged along on the road down to Egypt. I can't imagine that he didn't lie down on his stony bed, probably shivering in the night with no blanket, looking up at the stars, wondering how in the world he got where he was, what's going to happen, and that he no doubt had great fear, that he fought anxiety, and he may have even kicked a rock and broke his toe at one point. But the overriding reality of Joseph's response is that it is characterized by a humble subservience to his God. Joseph, as a young man, somehow picked up, no doubt, from the tutelage of his father Jacob, that God was in control and that God had a plan for their family and that God would not fail them. So we have no sign of bitterness, no sign of anger, no sign of depression, no sign of hopelessness. We have to recognize that in the verses I just read that time had to go by. Joseph didn't just show up at Potiphar's house. He had to sit around in a cage, let people walk up and down the rows of slaves and look at him. Probably had people poking him with their fingers, opening his mouth, looking at his teeth, making him bend over, all kinds of things, making sure he didn't have disease. Days or weeks might have gone by before he finally was purchased by Potiphar. He's in his house. And then Potiphar wasn't able to just say... Oh, blessed one, take over my household. No doubt months and months and months went by of doing the most menial tasks, the most difficult of labor, starting at the bottom. So a lot of time went by, a lot of hard work was encountered. No doubt a lot of wondering what God was doing. No doubt fighting for perspective during this time. No doubt a lot of unanswered questions running through his mind. But notice what happens with rapid fire succession as the days clicked off. Everywhere Joseph went, God began to bless him. You got to see that Joseph did not pull himself up with his bootstraps, but God had his hand on Joseph. But I would, I would like to suggest that Joseph had the right heart attitude. I don't have time to build on it like I would like, but through the reading between the lines of this passage, can I suggest to you the marks of a humble servant that are obviously demonstrated in Joseph's experience here? The marks of a truly humble servant... 
that Joseph surely demonstrated, or you would not be able to say that that the master saw that the Lord was with him. You would not be able to say that everything he touched prospered. You would not be able to say that God was with him and that he was a blessing. And that's the only conclusion you can draw, and that's what's written here. Let me suggest four qualities, and we would do well to emulate these. Number one, verse two, Joseph was industrious. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He didn't start out prospering, but everywhere he went, he was productive. He was, number one, industrious. He didn't just sit around moaning and groaning. He didn't do the the minimal requirement. He didn't have to have his overseer beating him with a stick to make him do what he was told to do five times. He went in, made it happen, produced, made things better than they already were everywhere he went. He worked his way up. He was industrious. Number two, clearly in verse three, look at what it says that Potiphar saw, his master saw, not that he was a great guy, not that he was good looking like his wife noticed, not that he was just a really handy guy to have around and could use tools, was good with animals, was good with people, knew how to change light bulbs without being told. But somehow, pagan Potiphar put together in his head, the Lord is with that guy. The Lord is with that guy. Number two, he was godly. He demonstrated a spirit of godliness. That is loaded, isn't it? That tells us a lot about his attitude. They didn't find Joseph slamming doors. They didn't find Joseph when his master gave him instruction and turned away going behind his back. He got with it. He was industrious. He was godly. The master could see that The Lord was with him. Number three, notice that everything he touched was a success because of God's blessing. He was marked by excellence. Number three, he was marked with a spirit of excellence. He did quality work. He was industrious. He was godly. He was marked by excellence. By the way, if you're taking notes, you might write down Proverbs 22, 29. Proverbs 22, 29. I'll paraphrase it. It's something like this. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will not serve in obscurity. He will serve before kings. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will not serve in obscurity. He will serve before kings. That's exactly what's happening here, isn't it? You know the other thing that's happening too. Well, let me say this. Potiphar notices something that is happening. Everything he touches is success. And he's also noticing that things have never run better His bank accounts are going up. His crops are growing better. His house is cleaner. Everything's in better order. His servant staff are fighting less. Everywhere Joseph is, he leaves a trail of excellence. That's a great testimony. Fourthly, he then puts him in charge. Proverbs 22, 29 kicks in and his obscurity leaves and he now goes to the top. The cream goes to the top. He is, number four, trustworthy and reliable. Verses four through six tell us this. Potiphar put him in charge, middle of verse four, of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed this household. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. What a great testimony. Isn't that exactly what God had told his great-grandfather Abraham? You are going to be a blessing. And everywhere any of you go, 
people around you will be blessed because of you. It happened. This is the outflow of God's promise on Abraham through his grandsons, great-grandson. Four marks of a humble servant that Joseph clearly emulated that would be good for us to strive for. Number one, be industrious. Number two, be marked by godliness and a godly spirit in our attitudes. Number three, be marked by excellence, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Number four, be trustworthy and reliable. Notice the final verse. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Anything except the food he ate, I think, is just a uh, uh, figure of speech for his own personal private matters. Okay? I, I, don't, I think he still brushed his own teeth and things like that. But basically, as long as Joseph was around, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to worry about it. Now put yourself in Joseph's position. Think about what he's been through. He's still operating with limited revelation. He still does not understand completely the ramifications of the dreams that he had. He might ponder those, but he has no idea of the future. As far as he knows, he is in a hole in the ground on a detour in his life. He's not where he wants to be. He wants to get out of there. So let's wrap this up with some life application. Uh, Let me read quickly so that we get through them momentarily. Four life applications from this passage. Four life applications. I think you'll agree with me. Number one, lessons learned. Number one, the will of God for my life often unfolds without clarity. Is Joseph in the will of God? Is Joseph trusting God to fulfill his will in his life? I think so. Does Joseph understand what God is doing in his life? Absolutely not. Number one, the will of God for my life often unfolds without clarity. Does that frustrate you? Does that make you mad at God? Do you think God can't get you where he wants you? Listen, like I said at the beginning... If you're not loading the gun and shooting yourself in the foot, and these circumstances in your life are outside of your control, at this point, let God use them to get you where He wants, even when you don't know what that is. That's where Psalm 37 and waiting on the Lord comes in, delighting in the Lord, looking to Him. Number two... God's first concern for my life is character, not comfort. Do you see that in this story? I don't see Joseph as really comfortable here. I mean, it sounds really good. The man is is in bondage. The man can't leave the property. I mean, he's got a growing trust. He's not in the prison cell yet, so it's better than it could be and will be for a couple of years. But he's not where he wants to be. He doesn't understand what God's doing in his life. But God's first concern is character, isn't it? What, what happened in Joseph and the blessing of God coming to Joseph had everything to do with his godly character. It had nothing to do with his comfort. A lot of his time, he was very uncomfortable, and yet he was right where God had him and wanted him to be. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that often 
God's humble servants. He doesn't seem to care too much about their personal comfort. I think that's common. And I would suggest that for many of us, when our life gets uncomfortable, we question God. We don't like God to let us be uncomfortable. Number three, my third life application from this brief part of Joseph's life. My response, that is my attitude and my spiritual character, my response to the negative, undesirable circumstances of my life often prove to be the key to the next thing God is going to do in my life. I want to read that again because it's long, but I think it makes sense in this story. Listen. My response, that is my attitudes, my spirit of godliness, my proper behavior before the Lord, my response to these negative, to the cave, cave, to the mind caving in, my response to the negative, undesirable circumstances of my life often prove to be the key, it proves to be the key to the next thing God is going to do in my life. My point is, Joseph in Potiphar's house, if he was just kicking the dog and angry and they had to shackle him and they had to keep him down, God could never have allowed him to take the next step. And we're going to see this very thing. Putting him in prison, that's God's next step. His response to that, is going to prepare his heart for the next step of leadership. He moves from Potiphar, captain of the guard, the executioner, no doubt, the bodyguard of Pharaoh. Potiphar was at low on the totem. By the time he comes out of prison in a few weeks, in a few years, he's going to be working for the big man, Pharaoh. If he didn't have the right responses to today, God would not take him to tomorrow. You understand what I'm saying? And my response to these negative occurrences is often the trip. It's often the lever. It's the flip switch for God to say, okay, you're ready for the next step of my plan. So you can muck around. You can be angry with God. You can throw things. You can kick the dog. You can carry on and just stay there because God's not moving you. He's not going to move you until you're ready with the right response. Number four and finally... My response to the negative, undesirable circumstances of my life has everything to do with my confidence in God's control. Let me read that again. Number four in our story, I think what we learn is that Joseph and our response to the negative, undesirable circumstances of our lives has everything to do with our confidence in God's control. Do you believe God is sovereign? Do you believe that God loves you no matter what? Do you believe that God will be faithful to you, His child? Then why would you shake your fist at Him? Then why would you kick things? Why would I not wait on God? Okay, Lord, I'm out of control. I don't know what's going to happen. But I believe you're in control. And I believe that you know what's happening. And I don't believe that I'm here by accident. That's a mature outlook, isn't it? Are you there? I think that our ability to respond to the mind cave-ins of our lives has everything to do with how much we really believe God is in control. We find ourselves in circumstances all the time in life, don't we? Uh, Nancy's not here. I did her husband's funeral this week, and as I preached, I looked down at her by herself. 
And I thought, I watched her drive away from the funeral home by herself after the funeral. I thought, she's all alone. A few friends gathered, a brother from a distance, that's it. God is faithful. I hope she knows God is in control. We need to pray for her, don't we? And pray for our widows here. Those are big, life-changing occurrences that can make it feel like you're in the dark and the mind caved in. God is in control. My response matters. When the doctor looks at you and says, you have cancer. When the boss looks at you and says, clean your desk out, you've got 45 minutes to get off the property. <laughs> yes, I got a great review last week. This is this week. You see? God is sovereign. God loves me. God is faithful. I can trust Him. Amen? Joseph did it. Let's bow in prayer, please. Before I pray and we close with a hymn and leave for Sunday school, would you just seek for some clarity in your life right now? Are there some areas in your life that are out of control? that you need to really deliver over to the Lord. It could be that God is doing things in your life today that you have no idea how He's going to use it later. Are you fussing at God today or do you know God is in control and are you anxious for nothing? Some of you don't know how to do this because you don't even know Jesus As your Savior, your sin's not forgiven. You haven't been to the cross. I would remind you that today is the day of salvation. Come just as you are into the presence of God in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Be the recipient of His righteousness. Start a new life in Christ. Put the old behind you. But some of us as believers in Christ, we live like pagans acting as though we have no Heavenly Father who's in control of our lives. God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for being control freaks and for thinking we know better than You, for being angry and hurt and anxious and depressed and discouraged when it's not even in our control. May we trust Your sovereign hand at work in our lives like Joseph surely did. And may Jesus receive any glory and praise that comes from any good that we do. It's in his name we pray. Amen.